Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you today? Welcome. I've met a lot of guests again this morning, and so if you're part of our church house, would you give our guest a great clap? We're glad you came to be with us. Awesome. I know uh, my bride mentioned about the XO conference, but it was an amazing weekend. We had over 65 couples here just digging in and learning how to improve our marriages, make our marriages better. It was so good. We laughed a lot um, with the topic material. Sometimes it was awkward, but it was so great. Um, we had a good time. Listen, we ate great food. Uh, the lessons were practical. We learned some ways to apply it in our marriages. And then we, uh, we met friends and just had a great time. So can't wait for next year. So if you didn't come this year, we'll be doing it again next year. The XO Marriage Conference, so good. Um, we have another conference coming up. Flourish is coming up. Ladies, you want to be a part of that. Amen? Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, um, in a series on money called Trust Funds, and, and we as a church, we, we like sermons on money, don't we? Amen? <laughs> that was a little setup, wasn't it? Let me try it again. We love sermons on money. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. I'm just trying to prime the pump. So I'm going to uh, take us to a parable called the parable of the talents and my title is that I am faithful and I believe that as a declaration over my life and over your life when it comes to our finances that that I'm faithful with what God has given to us so before I jump into this story of the talents I'll give a little context of it because we need to understand that what this this parable is kind of surrounded by to give it better sense so we know how to apply it appropriately and so in Matthew 25 we find the parable of the talents but in chapter 24 is the setup for this parable and in chapter 24 it is all about end times and so if you read Matthew chapter 24 you're going to see the signs of the end times and and so it's all about the return of Christ and then we get into this parable but in Matthew 24, it says it like this, kind of as a, a way to kind of frame that whole chapter. It says, therefore, you also be ready. What are you ready for? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so that's kind of the, the framework of be ready, because at some point, Jesus will return. Maybe you're not familiar with the scriptures, and it teaches us about the return of Christ, and and I'll just let you know that his return is a very common theme throughout the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's mentioned 318 times in the New Testament in some shape, form, or fashion that, that Christ will be returning. And when he returns, the Bible teaches us that one day he will come back, but it'll be unexpected. You won't know it, we won't know it when he's going to return. Have you ever heard someone give some sort of a prophetic word that you know, he's coming back in, you know, this date and they've lined up something, the stars and all that. And, and whenever you hear that, just know that they don't know. That's like their surest way to get him not to come back, I, I think. So, but, um, so no one knows when he return, but he will return. He will come back to earth. He will judge the wicked and he will reward the followers of Christ. And so that's the context of this parable, his return. And so now Matthew 25, 
we'll jump into this parable that Jesus taught. So it says this in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to the other servant he gave two talents, and to another servant he gave one talent, to each according to his own ability. And then immediately he went on a journey. So that's the beginning of this parable. And so understanding what this is talking about, Jesus is sharing a parable. And a parable, by the way, is just a, a story about something going on in, in kind of the relevant part of life, but it always brings a spiritual principle in it. And so he's using this story about a wealthy employer, and this employer has told his staff, his team, his employees, I'm getting ready to go on a long trip. He doesn't tell them when he's going to return, and he doesn't tell them what to do with the money, but he says, when I go, I'm going to give you some money to manage for me while I'm gone. So this employee's like, I, I'm going to be heading out, and I've got these three employees, and I want you to take care of the money. And so he gives to one five talents, one three talents, and one, or two talents, and one one talent. And he divvies out his money. Now, the reason he gives some money that is greater to one of his servants than the other two is that there's some sort of a proven way to handle that money in a way that will bring the master the best return. Like, he's, he's a smart business owner. He's like, hey, this one has a proven credibility. I'm going to give a little bit more to this one. The second guy, he goes, hey, you don't have as much history and credibility. And uh, you're a pretty good guy, so I'm going to go ahead and give you this. The third one, I don't know. Maybe he's like hey, you know what, yeah, I'm just going to give it a shot with you, you know, and he, and he gives him a talent. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, how much is a talent? And, and I love this idea that Jesus shares with us about the parable of the talents, because a talent is actually a lot of money. So we don't kind of use talents as a way of, of understanding, you know, amount of money. So I'll share it with you what it means. A talent is a unit of measurement. And so in that particular culture, they would take a, a bunch of silver coins and they'd weigh them. And if it weighed a talent, then that was how much money was in that the weight for that silver. So in that culture though, a talent was equal to about 20 years of someone's wages. So it was a lot of money. So as an example, if in our culture today, if someone earned, and, and I'm, I'm not sure what kind of the median income in America is, but let's just hypothetically say it's $50,000. And over 20 years, you earn $50,000, then this equivalent would be to a million dollars. So Jesus is saying to his servants in this story, or the, the owner of this business leaving to his employees, one, he left five times of a million dollars, five million, then two, and even the, the one that was given the lowest amount was given a million dollars, like a lot of money. Now, I want to remind you that most likely in your lifetime, you will earn a million dollars. All of you have a chance to be a millionaire in life, right? Because 20 years of earning money, 20 times, that's going to at least come up to somewhere around a million dollars in your life. So you're probably wealthier than you know, amen? Doesn't feel like it though, does it? I get it, I get it. I like this about the story that Jesus uses because even in his smallest amount of talent that he offers out is a whole lot of money. He entrusts to this servant at least a million dollars 
And what I like about that is it tells me that, that Jesus thinks in terms of abundance and not in terms of stingy scarcity. Is that right? And so I like that. So the employee doesn't tell his, his team, his servants, when he'll return. He's just like, hey, I'm going on this trip and I want you to manage the money for me. And, and so they go to work with it. And so in Matthew 25, it says, then he who had received the five talents, well, he went out and he traded with them. He, he, he invested that money. He found a way to, to, to sow that money and to use that money. And, and he worked that money. And then he made another five talents. And I like the fact that this first servant, when we hear his story, is that he used God's money. He didn't hoard it. He didn't go, well, man, I got five million bucks. Look at me. And he didn't, he didn't hold it. He didn't act out of fear. He invested and he grew and he used that money wisely. So we get to the next one. It says, likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. Verse 18, though, we find this third servant. And it says, he who had received one went and he dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. And so then after a long time, the Bible says that this Lord of the servants came back and he came to settle the accounts with them. He came to find out what they did with the money. He wanted to know, did you use it well? Did you, did you invest it? Did you, did you put it to use? And what did you do with the money? And I think it's easy to see the parallel that Jesus is drawing for us in his parable that he's telling because he's saying that the master has gone, along, gone away and, and obviously is speaking of Christ who has now gone to heaven and he says that he's gone on this trip and he doesn't tell him when he's going to return and we understand this parable being the context of Christ's return. So all this is laying this foundation that, that Christ has gone for some period of time, we don't know when, but he's going to return, and when he returns, he's going to ask for an account on the resources that he has given to us. Amen? So the story is about how do people handle the resources that God has put in our hands while he's away and before he returns. So the report, this employer comes back, and the Bible says that he meets with his five servants and I mean it's three servants and he says to the first one who has five talents in verse 20 he says hey you have received five talents and came and brought five other talents saying and he said Lord you delivered to me five talents look I've gained five more talents beside them and the Lord said this to him the Lord said well done good and faithful servant how great is it to hear those words listen I want my life when I meet with Christ on his return is I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, you did a great job with what I entrusted into your hands and you handled it well, you managed it well, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he goes on to say that you were faithful over a few things, so I'll make you ruler or manager over many things. And he says, then enter into the, the joy or the celebration of the Lord. And so the servant hears, well done, well done. I want that in my life. I want that in your life. Well done. That's the goal. Then you notice that when he was faithful with those finances, he, he managed it well. The Bible said that then the master said, well, then here is more for you to manage. Here is increase 
for you to be able to manage more now. And he gave him significance in his resources to manage more. You know, in the Bible it, and through all scripture, it consistently teaches that God rewards people for their faithfulness in finances, how we manage his money. The Bible teaches that there are rewards tied to managing God's money well. There's increases, there's blessings, there's greater responsibilities that come with it. And so we find the second service servant in the same situation, and he meets with the master, and so he says to his master, he, who also, it says, has received two talents, gained, and he said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful of a few things, and now will make you ruler or manager over many things, and now enter into this joy of the Lord." So those two were faithful. They handled God's money well. And then we find this third servant, though, and he, he responded quite different. And so in verse 24, it says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. He said, I knew you reaped where you have not sown, and you've gathered where you have not scattered seed. And he said, As a result of knowing this about you, I was afraid. And he said, so what I did is I went and hid your talent in the ground. I buried it. And he said, look, now I have what is yours. And, and so in reading this, I'm seeing this parallel of how people view Jesus. We find the first two that operated out of a, a place of faith and they went and, and they invested and they, they managed God's money. We find this third servant though, and he makes this statement that I know you're hard. He's like, you're unjust in the way you work. You take from others and, and you, you, you take money or, or goods from others that you hadn't sown into. You, you harvest where you haven't planted. And, and, he, and he looks at Jesus in and, and this story. He looks at his master and goes, you're hard. You're, you're a difficult one. You are a punisher. And he said, because I view that way out of fear, and he began to fear Jesus. He began to fear his master. And he said, out of fear, I'm just going to hide this. I'm just going to hold on to it. I don't want to risk anything because if I risk it, and another good word for faith is risk. And he said, if I do that, what if something goes wrong? And, and his view of Jesus was so hard. You know, fear is something that always works against our faith. And in our culture today, there's a lot of fear around money, and rightfully so. We, it, we find ourselves working through inflation. It's, it's harder to pay the bills today. When we get into this fear place, like, am I going to have enough money? Then we become more like that third servant because out of fear, we're afraid to, to do something with God's money because what if I don't have enough? And so we operate out of fear. The first two operated out of faith. And they were like, well, we just believe that if we invest this and we have the favor of our master, then things will work out. And, and they invested. This third, though, was out of fear. He's like, I think you're a hard, a hard master. And out of fear. There's a term that I would use called scarcity. Scarcity means that you only believe there's only so much to go around. Scarcity means that, that, you know, if you have earned this much money, 
then you may not earn any more. You may not have more. So you have to hold on to what you have. And if you hold on to it, you've got your own little savings account. And if something goes wrong, I have taken care of myself. That's that fear that comes in. And I believe that in our culture today that we operate too much out of fear when it comes to our finances rather than out of faith, believing that God can sustain us. And so the first two were in faith. This one was, third one is working out of this fear mentality. And as a result, instead of him investing it, he, he buried it and he hid it and he kept it for himself. And so the third servant then gets this response from his master. The master says to him and he answered and he said, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So his response was that out of your fear you hid, you, you hoarded, you kept, and you're, you're wicked, you're lazy for that. And then he goes on to say, you knew that I reaped where I haven't sown. And, and I believe when I read that, just to give you a little what I believe, I don't think Jesus saying, I agree with you, I'm that hard. I think he's saying, this is what you believe who I am. And even if you believe that, you sure still did have done something. Even in the worst case scenario, there was a minimum. And he says, so you ought to have, verse 27, at least deposited my money with bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back in, with my own interest. He's like, if, even if you thought I was that hard, you could have done something. And so the master says, take this talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, has what? Managed God's money will be given, more will be given, and he will live in abundance. But from him who does not have or does not manage God's money well, who isn't faithful, then what he has will be taken away. And so this third servant is penalized because he had a lack of faith rather than having faithfulness with what God had given him. And so to those who have managed it well, we're, they, they found the, the increase and, and there was something that God had returned to them so that they could do more with that money and they could live out of that type of abundance. And, and so what a, what a story that teaches us about how to handle God's money. And, and, and I want you to know that I preach this today because I believe that we want God's blessings in our money. We want God's favor. We want God involved with our money. And we, if we apply his principles, then we, we attract God's you know, plans, his ways into our, our finances. And listen, I'm not preaching this because I want something from you. Listen, I'll tell you in a minute you don't even have to give here. I'll tell you that. I'm fine with that. I'll tell you why in a minute. But, but it's not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. I want you to walk in the blessings of God. I want you to step out of the fear of culture and fear that's happening and live in this mindset of faithfulness to God and, and trusting in his abundance in your life. I want to walk out of that generosity spirit and live in that and not live out of this fearful spirit and go, oh my gosh, I got to hold on to everything. What if it goes bad? Listen, I'm telling you, if you believe everything's going to go bad, it probably will in your life. But if you start living over here in this, hey, God's good and God is faithful and God can carry me, God can sustain me. And if I give a little bit, then God will bless that. If I give a little more, he'll bless. And it puts us in this process of seeing God move in our life. I want that in your life. I want it in my life for sure. I don't mind messages about generosity, to be honest with you. 
I kind of like them. Uh, whenever I hear and I'm online, I see someone preaching on, on giving and, and generosity and tithing, I'll slow down and listen. Why? Because I know I need a reminder about generosity. Because the world is just pouring fear into my life. And the world is just telling me how bad it's going to get. And the news is telling me that it's all going to fall apart. And I need some positive reinforcement. Instead of like partnering with fear in my life, I want to partner with what God is saying in my life. And so listen, today as I preach about giving, I don't want you to get into this scarcity mindset and think, oh, the pastor wants all my money. I want you to think, oh, the pastor wants me blessed. I, I want to try that again because I think all the way in the back row can give me an amen on that. Listen, I'm not preaching because I want your money and I want to subtract from your life. I'm preaching about giving and managing God's finances well so that you live out of the blessings of God. That's who I thought I was with. That's my church. Amen. Old Testament and New Testament both speak about the blessings of God when we manage his finances. Old Testament in the book of Malachi, it's not on the screen, I'll just read it to you, but it says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse and that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Some versions say, test me on this. Like God's like, give this a shot and see how it works. And he says, and see if I will not, this is God speaking, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it all. Verse 11 goes on, he says, and, so not only will I bless you, but I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, and he will not um, uh, take the, the, the fruit of the vines, and, and he will not take from you, says the Lord of the hosts. In other words, I, I think about like the, the Old Testament when the Israelites were in 40 years, and, and somehow they're... Their clothing didn't wear out in 40 years, right? I mean, somehow God, sustained, he, he rebuked the devourer over them. He provided for them when they, they thought there was no more water and they had water. When they thought there was no more food, he provided. Listen, he's a providing God and a protecting God. That's Old Testament, New Testament. What does it say about it? It says, well, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8, it says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Now, sometimes people teach that like, well, you better do better than that. I want you to notice this, that those who sow sparingly, they still sowed and they still reaped. Amen? I'm like, start somewhere getting some seed in the ground. I'd rather you start small and reap some harvest than to reap zero and reap zero harvest. So it says, some sow sparingly, reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Like, it, like God says, like, I love to see your heart when you give. It's all about the heart. And then it goes on to say, but God and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you will always have all sufficiency in all things and you may have an abundance for every good work. So that's Old and New Testament teaching us about how to manage God's money. Amen. So a few kingdom principles about money. Uh, number one, Jesus, the master, owns everything. We, the servants in the story of the parable of the talents, 
we are the managers of it. And so that's the, the point of this story is it says that the master, he entrusted to his servants his money. And I believe that everything in our life is God. He has given, he has allowed us to have in some way. Yes, we work, but he gave us the ability to work. Uh, you know, like, yes, we, we, we put our hand to the plow, but he, he gave us the hands to do it with. And so the brains, the capacity, and, and so he is the provider to us. And, and we believe that as we, we live our life with him as owner of it all, then we are stewards of what he has given to us. And so it's all his, and so we want to manage his money, just like in the story, we want to manage it well, just like it, it is taught. I believe that when we see it as his, then we understand that we'll use his resources for his purposes. And the reason that God gives us resources is so that we can do more for God until he comes again. See, I want to remind you the context of this story. The story isn't about you just being abundantly blessed, which is okay, but it's about how God works through us to make a difference in the world before he returns. Like there's a sense of urgency in the message and that we wouldn't hold on and we wouldn't bury the treasures that he has given to us, but we would do something with what he has given us to make a difference so other people can come into the kingdom of God. Number two, Jesus expects us to use whatever he has entrusted to us for his glory. Whatever he has entrusted. So obviously in this, this sermon, it's, he's entrusted resources, financial money to us, and, and that's a portion of it. But you know, you've probably been blessed with a, a talent of some sort. Not a talent here, but I mean like some gifting in your life. And so, you know, maybe your, your gifting is in some capacity. Maybe you're, you, you have the ability to dance and, and you should use your, your dance for the glory of God, right? Maybe you're, you're gifted in business and, and that's your talent in life and, and your talent is to, to use that, that gift to the glory of God. My gift that God has given me is the gift of taking his word and and having the honor to, to humbly share what he says to a group of people that show up on Sunday and, and say amen with me. But listen, I can't take for granted that gift that he's given to me. I can't show up Sunday without studying and preparing. That, that would be taking for granted this gift and, and, and not using it well. I want to bring God glory, so I start early in the week and praying and planning, and God, I need your anointing, and God, would you use this to connect with your people? I don't want to just stand up here and talk. I want to bring your word to people, and so I want to take the gift that God has given to me and use it for his glory, and he's given you gifts, and he's given you abilities, and, and so much of your life, all of our life, whatever it is, ought to bring God glory in some capacity, and it's all for his kingdom, it's all so that people will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we fund the kingdom, as this text is teaching us, when we are giving into the kingdom, we are doing it to reach more people for Christ before he returns. Like that's what we're here for in our financial you know, story today. I, listen, I, I'm not here to build a bigger building. I love our building, praise God. It's just a tool though, so that we can reach more people, so that we can disciple more people. 
when you sow into this church, when you, when you give here, then what we're doing is, is we're, we're preparing a ministry, we're equipping a church so that we can help more people find life in Jesus Christ. Right, that's what it's about. When you give here and you give by faith and when you do that and you, you, you plant your seed in the house of God, it empowers this house to reach the lost and disciple those who have been saved and to Listen, we use the resources to teach our, our children and kids ministry that God loves them and they, they start young believing in the goodness of God and how good he is and, and we want our little children to all their life just show up thinking Jesus loves me. And it starts here. I want our young youth, I want you to preach, Lachlan, that there's a biblical worldview that they live out of. And if they live according to the Bible, yes, it may be counterculture, but it'll be right in line with God's blessings in their life. So it's not about money. It's about the kingdom. I want to be able to stand before people and declare the truth of God. The truth that through Jesus Christ, your life can be changed. The truth that says that if you live opposite of what the Bible says, then there's a, a pattern of destruction in your life. But if you live according to scriptures, even if it doesn't sound popular, but if you live according to scriptures, I wanna be able to preach that word and say God has blessings and goodness in your life if you'll live according to the word of God. So we're not sowing into a, you know, material things. We're sowing into the kingdom and God uses material things for his goodness in the world. So tithing here, church, is, is sowing by faith and believing for those eternal rewards of souls being brought into the kingdom. And when you see it like that, there's no wonder that when you see those two servants who took the money that was entrusted to them and they grew it and they used it for the kingdom in some capacity, there's no wonder God supplied more to them because he could trust them to fund the kingdom so the kingdom could advance faster and further and broader before he returns. That's the whole story. Amen. So just for a few minutes and not a long time, I want to just take the concept of tithing, which is the, the biblical term about giving into your church, because I believe so strongly that God wants to move through this house, but also I feel so strongly that he wants to move in your life, and I want to see the blessings of God. And so I just want to teach on this for a moment about tithing. And so a tithe, if you see on the screen, is 10% of our income. It's a tenth. Biblical tithing is giving to God the first 10% of your income. Now, let me explain a little bit about tithing. Old Testament is where you generally hear about tithing, under the law. So under the law, the tithing was required. Under the law, people had to give to God. It was, that was God's way of teaching and training them how to depend on them. And so under the Old Testament law, if someone did not tithe to God, if they didn't bring you know, one out of 10 of their oxen or one out of 10 of their sheaves of grain. If they didn't tithe, the Bible says there was a punishment for them. And so they gave out of fear of God. Like, I don't want God to punish me. There was no cheering. You know, we talk about cheerful giver. They didn't give out of cheer. They're like, absolutely, God, I don't want God mad. 
It also goes on to say, though, there's blessings when they did tithe. So it was, it was this whole system of, of cursing and blessing in their giving. Well, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Testament. We're under grace, and, and we believe that the cross has, has paid for all the punishment. And so when I say that, what I mean is that when Jesus died on the cross, God poured out 100% of mankind's punishment upon him, and he punishes no more. And so under grace, I want you to know that if you never give a penny to God, he will not punish you. That's fascinating. And so with that said, if you decide to never give any money to this church, I'm not going to be mad at you. But it's not between me and you. If God's not going to be mad at you, I'm sure I'm going to be mad at you. So listen, I'm going to be one of those pastors that, that breaks every like, um, you know, pastor one-on-one, you know, uh, leadership lessons. And I'm going to tell you that you don't have to give here. Well, I'm glad you didn't clap. I really am. <laughs> now, if none of you do, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you on the street corner <laughs> and I'll preach there, all right? But the reality is that the cross paid for the punishment, but the blessings still apply when you sow. The blessings are still intact. And so I'm telling you to give out of the goodness of your heart and out of the, the cheerfulness of, of wanting to sow into the kingdom of God and wanting to see the kingdom move forward. So where do you tithe? The Bible teaches us that you tithe, you give, you sow into your church. So out of Nehemiah, it says this, that a priest had descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And so the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, which is, you know, we represent that today, the church. It says, bring it into the storerooms of the treasury. Verse 39 says, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain and new wine and olive oil into the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary and the ministering priests and the gatekeepers and musicians are kept. In other words, bring your tithes to the, to the church where all of that's going on. And then it goes on to say, we will not neglect the house of our God. Amen to that. And so I, I believe that the tithe belongs to the local church. Lots of great organizations to give to in, in our culture. But I believe your tithe, your, your first part, your consistent giving belongs to the church. How many of you ever watch TV and you see, the, you see the poor helpless dogs that are suffering and they want your money? Does that not just break your heart? Listen, I don't know. I think dogs are the sweetest, loyalest, loving animals in the world right behind horses. Who would abuse a dog? I don't know. That's crazy, isn't it? I think there's a special place in hell for people that abuse dogs. And it's hot. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it really works that way. I, I'm just saying. The reason I bring it up is every time I see it, like, I want to help. Like, I want to help the dogs, you know. I want to support the dogs, you know. Like, I want, like, my heart is drawn to something like that. And, and it's good. And, and, but I hope that before you sow into any other well worth ministry or fund the dogs, anything else, 
that your first priority is to fund and not neglect the house of God. Thank you. Three or four of you like that. It's so good. So how do you begin tithing? How do you start? Well, if tithe means 10%, uh, for the most part, people who want to begin tithing hear that 10%. And if you think of 10% of what you bring in, you think, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, and, and for most people living in today's culture, a little more paycheck to paycheck, and you're like, well, I can't do that. So I believe that you apply this whole thing about what we hear about the talents, that there are some with one talent, some with two, some with three, four, and five talents, and we give in proportion to what we have. And so what somebody with a one talent is faithful with will be different than someone with five talents is faithful with. And so when everyone does according to what they have and they're faithful with what they have, then God will use that as your seed sown. And then when the seed is in the ground, there'll be a harvest in your life. And I don't believe you have to start at 10%. Listen, God never starts us at the top. He takes us wherever we are in our life. Whatever mess you're in, whatever problems are in your life, whatever's going on in your life, God will take that portion and add to it a little bit. He'll, he'll work with that before he, t listen, if he came at me and tried to fix everything going on in my life, I'd be like, just take me home, Lord. I can't do it all. So you don't have to start at 10%. Start somewhere and start cheerfully saying, God, I get to give into your house. So I, I believe that every person can do something and every person gets to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe everyone has been entrusted with something of God and we all have to operate out of faith at some level and begin to sow some seed in the ground. And so what I'm asking you to do is to pray about it. I'm asking you to consider this as your church home and would you faithfully, I am faithful to the house of God and would you start in some capacity that fits your life and what God is speaking to you sowing into the house of God so that God can do great things in this house, in the kingdom, and in your life. So I'm just asking you to pray about it. I, I don't think that, that um, it's been a while, no one's asked this of me in a while, but one year I remember I, I preached on giving and I kind of had a message like this and someone later said, oh, you're a prosperity preacher. And, and I said, well, sort of. Maybe not in the way you think, um, but, but yeah, sort of like I'd prefer prosperity over poverty every day, you know, like, so I'm like, you know, if you if I get to choose, you know, I'm, I'm working on that side of the equation, but I have tried this before and it doesn't work. Listen, you can't give God a hundred and think you're going to get 200 next week. All right. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because then you're giving out of greed. You're giving out of uh, God, give me something back. Like, you, you, you think you're working with an ATM machine or something. Like, and so that's not God's way. Why? Listen, I want to remind you what the context of this giving is all about. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about his return. And so when you give out of the right motivation, when you give to see the kingdom grow, when you give so more souls will be won into Christ, to the Lord, when you give because you want to see young people in our kids' ministry being discipled, when you give when you want to see truth proclaimed out of the house, when you give with that right heart, then God says, oh, now I've got something to work with. Amen? Amen. Amen. So...
So maybe I am. They're probably somebody's going to quote this. It's gonna, they're going to snip it out. Pastor Tim Blevins believes in prosperity preaching. I do. If you use it for the kingdom of God. So we should, number three, as I close, be busy during our time of waiting and faithful during the delay. Listen, I know it's a delay. Like, when are you coming, Lord? We don't know when he's coming. We don't know his return. And we should want to do everything we can in this life, in this time, before he returns to make a difference with our life. And I believe the most important thing you can do with your money is to make a difference. Above all else, the most important part of what you do with your money is you make a difference for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well, that's what I believe. That's why I hear it now. So into the church. And that's why when I can, I want to give more. Because I just want to see God move. And he is moving. Amen. Amen. I want to finish today with an invitation. An invite for you to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The, the parable that I read has another verse, and I haven't read it to you. Because it's a very heavy verse, and I was saving it for this moment of invitation. And I want you to read how Jesus finishes this parable about the talents. And he says in Matthew 25, verse 30, this is the, the final part of this, this parable. And he's talking about that, that servant that, that did not trust God in his, in his life and and he says, and to that one, he says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, there's a, there's a, a time when Jesus will return and he will, he will determine, have you trusted in Jesus as your savior or not? Now, this, this whole section has a practical and a spiritual application. The practical is, is in our, our finances. The spiritual is the eternal. It's the, the decision to trust Jesus. Because if you remember in that third servant, he saw Jesus and he was afraid. He saw Jesus as hard. He saw Jesus as unapproachable. And that's not who he is. He is grace. If he had seen him as grace... If he'd have seen him as, as forgiving, if he'd have seen him as loving, listen, his heart would have been different. And so there's, a, there's a, a difference between those who know his grace and receive it and those who don't. And that's the story of this parable that there's gonna be a day that he returns or there's a day that you'll stand before him and you only have this life to make a decision whether or not to follow him or not. Would you bow your heads? This is really kind of a holy moment. That's a weighty thought. There really is a heaven, there really is a hell. And in this life, you decide. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today's the day. If you want to have your sins forgiven and you want all the punishment that you deserve to be applied to Jesus and you're forgiven and you can have an eternal life with the Father. 
If that's you, I, I want you to have a moment with your pastor. I'm your pastor in this moment. If that's you, you want to choose Jesus, I'm going to ask you to courageously lift your hand to me and say, I want Jesus in my life. I see your hands. Is there anyone else? I don't want to miss you. God bless you. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hand. God bless you. Let's all pray this together. Out loud. On behalf of those, we all pray together that raise their hands. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. He came to earth. He died for my sins. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I am forgiven and I am saved. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. How good is that? How good is that? Woo! Hey, let's stand to our feet for a moment. And we're going to close as we do each week with a really powerful time of prayer. Uh, I love to see God move in miracles. And I know you've sat there for a long time and you're like, hey, I'm a little tired. But I want you to stir your faith for this last part of our service. We're going to go back into worship. And when we do, our prayer team is going to be here. Go ahead, prayer team, and come on down. Just go ahead and represent. But when, um, when we start this worship and you have anything going on in your life, we want to pray for you. I want to see God move in your life. If you need a miracle today, listen, we sang about it so beautifully well, but now let's pray for it. Let's apply it. Let's see God move. So if you need a miracle in your finance, if you need a miracle in your marriage, if you need a miracle in any place of your life, come to us. Let us pray for you. Communion is at the tables. If you're new to us, you can go to one of the tables in the corner of the room. You have to actually leave your seat and go get communion, come back to your seat and you you can open up the bread and you can thank Jesus for his body that was broken. You open up the juice and thank him that his blood was shed for your salvation. And so we'll stay in the room. Let's stay here until we finish. We'll release you in just a moment to go get your kiddos and go to lunch. You can make it. We give me a little snack in communion. You can make it. I'm sorry, I, I kill a moment. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you are going to return one day. And I thank you for those that made a decision to follow Christ. Lord, now we want to come to you for miracles and see you move in our life. And we want to go to the communion table to genuinely celebrate what you've done. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing before I release the worship team. If you prayed that prayer today to receive Jesus, I want to ask you to come tell someone at the front. Just walk the aisle, come to the altar and say, I prayed that today. And we just want to pray with you again. We just want to, we want to help you take that next step. And we want to help you just take that step of, I, I trusted Jesus. I believe there's something powerful happens when you step out. I want to encourage you to come tell somebody. All right, let's worship. Let's go.